Welcome to New Narrative Southeast Asia Dispatches. I'm your host, Bonnie Bell Rambatan, Editorial Manager for New Narrative. New Narrative is a movement to democratize democracy in Southeast Asia, and this podcast is one of the ways we attempt to do just that. If you've been following New Narrative for a while, you know that one of our key focus areas is on media freedom in Southeast Asia. This episode is part of a series called Media Freedom Voices, where we ask journalists across the region to talk about their thoughts and experiences on the state of media freedom in their country. We're kicking things off during Pride Month, so it's only apt to talk about the intersection of media freedom and queer issues. Our country of focus for June is Indonesia, which doesn't exactly have the best track record when it comes to the rights of the LGBTQIA community. Now, how much does this extend to news reporting and the state of media freedom in the country in general? Indonesian media often choose not to publish news and queer issues unless, of course, it conforms to the negative stigma around the LGBTQIA community. This is partly because the Indonesian Broadcasting Commission, or KPI, has officially banned broadcasters from publishing queer-positive content, and it regularly issues sanctions and warnings against media companies that distribute such content. On top of that, the majority of the new staff are queerphobic. So, what's the state here, and how should we navigate this situation? Hi, listener. Uh, I'm Vidya Primastika. Now I work as a freelance journalist. That is Vidya Primastika, one of our contributors for Media Freedom Voices. Dika is an Indonesian journalist who mainly writes about mental health and gender, focusing on women and LGBTQIA topics. Their bylines can be found in Tirto ID, Konde.co, KBR, and of course, New Narrative. This episode is based on their article called Queerphobia in the Newsroom, Beyond the News on LGBTQIA+, which you can find on newnarrative.com. Let's jump right in. So today we'll be talking about primarily about your article, right? You wrote about queerphobia in the newsroom, which is a very interesting topic. So maybe let's just give the readers an overview of what, what you wrote there. Well, what is it about? In uh, 2021, and I have done a research with Code.co about uh, how media perspective or how media treats queers journalists or uh, queers article. And then uh, the article I wrote in Neuronarratives, the background is from my experience when I still working in the mainstream media. When I see the media from the outside, uh, this uh, mainstream media from the outside, uh, Uh, my previous media, uh, they have a f- progressive perspective about queer. But uh, when I jumped to uh, the newsroom, work environment is very, very queerphobic. They have uh, queerphobic jokes around uh, the workers, um, and mostly from Gisetro Mail. This is not only about the newsroom environment but also when I I want to report about queer story with a good perspective sometimes uh, they challenge always challenge me and it's not easy in my past research in 2021 the condition about queer in mainstream media same with my experience around maybe uh, 2017 until 
Then uh, in my previous article in New Narrative in 2023, uh, we can see that Indonesian media have the same problem with uh, my previous experience and my previous research. Yeah, I think what's most interesting to me about the article you wrote is that, you know, it's part of a series called Media Freedom Voices. And, you know, one of the key focus of New Narrative is talking about media freedom. When we talk about that, usually we kind of talk about, you know, um, the safety of journalists and stuff like that. But you also, um, you bring up this very interesting perspective that in the newsroom itself, that it already, you know, the dynamics of like um, queerphobic jokes, as you mentioned, or like, you know, queerphobia and everything else, which is it's, it's very apparent there in your title also, which I think uh, is really providing us with this perspective that... Um, censorship or you know or like you know media freedom itself shouldn't be seen as something as a topic that's just out there you know in the newsroom is some is is are people fighting for freedom and then you know the government is just censoring it and stuff like that but it it happens uh, very you know insidiously in inside the newsroom itself so as you mentioned before you kind of found in your research that what you experience in your personal uh you know your personal uh, work environment also happened um, elsewhere in Indonesia, you know, as as a wide, um, as a much wider structural problem, shall we say, right? Uh, before we we jump into that, though, you did mention in your article that you had a you had a worry about, you know, uh, queer issues and you know discrimination, especially against uh, against ourselves, against queer people, will only increase as we are. Uh, nearing the election year of of Indonesia, right? Um, How do you think, yeah, what's the dynamic here? Why do you think that uh, discrimination and election cycles and everything else, can you talk a bit about that? Yes, as we know about every Indonesian election year, we can see that anti-LGBT narratives is always used by them. And for example, in 2023, Jokowi's son-in-law, Bobi Nasution, he declared that Medan is an anti-LGBT city. The bad things is uh, our media, instead of criticizing about uh, this problematic declaration, they amplifies the politician head speech about LGBT. And you reckon that uh, because we are nearing the election cycle, these political debate will be increasing? Mostly, um, our politician use the uh, yeah. anti-LGBT to gain public interest for them. Yeah, yeah, which is which is very sad, right? I mean, uh, it's bad enough that queerphobia exists, like on a structural level, on a, on a societal level, but then for the issues to be brought up and, you know, as a political tool, as a, as a political game for uh, people to gather more voices and public interest, as, 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 you, as, you, as you mentioned, that's like, it's an, it adds yet another element. So there's, there's, the, there's the government side and then the, po- the politicians and then, of course, there are, uh, there's the people in the newsroom and all of these things, right? Um, but I want to know... Um, we did talk about like a little bit about the news organizations itself, but what does the um, the press council do? Um, what is the stance of the press council here in 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 all of these things? Do they pay attention to that? Are they also queerphobic, perhaps, or are they like 
somewhat trying to be a bit di- a bit more diplomatic about it. Like, how do you observe the stance of the press council? I don't know what they think about uh, queerphobic in newsroom because they are not answer my question when I call them and I send them a letter for interviews about the article. Uh, they are not answer until the deadline. Uh, this is a little story about one of my source in my article from uh, Sejuk. They said when Sejuk has a discussion about the diversity reporting guideline, press council staff said that they just do not to mention about uh, sexuality diversity because it will be problems in advocating in newsroom. I see. So they're it's quite problematic because, you know, they're they're by, you know, by not being willing to take that risk, then I mean obviously they, they become part of the of the oppression itself that we are experiencing. Uh, there uh, there's also a quote in, in your article, I forgot who said this, but like about there's a quote about neutrality about how, you know, the press council should be neutral because it's just part of the state, the state should be neutral and stuff like that. So that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Like neutrality. Do you have any particular views, any particular um, ideas on this, like, really, I don't know, like, it's it's quite disturbing, I suppose, this this idea of neutrality. What's, what's, your, what's your take on that? I don't believe uh, there's anything neutral in the world, so including the press council. This is uh, my experience in when I interviews an um, editors in newsroom that uh, he said that uh, every journalist they have a bias when they talk about a queer and this is uh, same with uh, our past council too when they are don't take an action to media when media has queerphobic uh, reporting. So uh, I think they're part of the discriminatory organization. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because it's like, um, again, I, I, I'm um, as we talk about this, it, it becomes increasingly obvious that, you know, in every uh, situation where there's oppression, if you want to be quote-unquote neutral, if you want to take, both sides, you know, listen to both sides as always a false uh, position because then you would be siding with the oppressors, right? Because there is no, as you mentioned, there's no such thing as neutrality, especially in terms of oppression, in terms of like when oppression happens, you need to take a stance, right? And then by neutrality, it's like you kind of um, you kind of don't want to be the bad guy, but then you are, right? I mean, obviously, if you don't take take action, if you take if you don't take a strong stance against the oppression, it means you're for the oppression. But on the other hand, also, um, the government, especially the the uh, KPI, the Indonesian Broadcasting um, Commission, they explicitly um, ban broadcasts that 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 are queer positive, that are. Um, you know that that support positive queer content or even queer content in general. Like they they have sanctions and, and stuff like that. Could you tell us a bit more about these policies and maybe like how you or your sources have been affected by these? Um, about Indonesian Broadcasting Commission, uh, they declare policy instrument against LGBT. They have a 
policy instrument that they ban uh, content that contains uh, LGBT and <coughs> This policy has been going on several years until now. It, a little story about uh, when I uh, have a research in uh, 2021 until 2022. I wrote an KPI's portal um, that they have several times give warnings to uh, some television or radio that showing broadcast about uh, LGBT contents and once I try to see the warnings they uh, warn about television station shows an advertisement about LGBT content and I look uh, the content and when I uh, look the content there uh, has been advertisement of a man wearing a skirt when I looked the advertisement that they went, I think that KPIs can differentiate between gender and sexuality with human expression. Yeah, I mean, let's let's not even talk about the difference between gender identity and gender expression. I mean, they can't even yes. yeah they they can't even differentiate between uh, gender and sexuality. And of course, it's like. The Indonesian Broadcasting Commission, maybe for listeners who might not be familiar with it, they're quite, they were quite infamous. I mean, it became an internet joke several, like, several years back about, like, censoring Spongebob Squarepants and, like, Doraemon and stuff like that. Like, Sandy Cheeks was wearing a bikini and they kind of, like, censored that. So it's, it's kind of like a pretty, um, you know, it's kind of like a pretty comedic, shall we say, organization. It's, it's like, it's become a laughing stock, but it's also dangerous because they can uh, issue warnings. They can they can take down content, right? Um, it would be funny if it weren't actually so insidious towards, um, uh, sorry, against um, you know, against queer people, right? So we have like a lot. We have outlined like a lot of dimensions here, um, also in your in your article about. Um, the state of queerphobia about how the Indonesian Broadcasting Commissioner is, is, is behaving and censoring and like sanctioning people. The press council is kind of like lukewarm, trying to be diplomatic and, and just like quote unquote neutral, but end up like partaking in the oppression and also in the newsroom itself, right? And also in the newsroom, people are still uh, queerphobic despite the news organization itself having a progressive uh, facade uh, to, to the public. Right, so um, these are a lot of issues. What are your thoughts on like, how would you prioritize these issues? What do you think we need to address um, first? Or what do you think are the top issues that we would need to address? Because it's, it's a complex problem. It's a structural problem. Right? So what are your thoughts on, on the... Okay, let's, let's just start with this. Let's just start with that. Like, how do you think about that? We need to have some same perspective about Sogesje. Uh, the main problem when I interview uh, some source in my article is difference knowledge about Sogesje. The one we can do is they need to learn first about Sogesje, especially for uh, media. Um, some of journalists don't have Sogesje class in their newsroom. Some journalists have a good perspective about queer, and then when they wrote uh, the article about queer in uh, good perspective, their editor 
has no names knowledge about uh, SOGSJ and then the news they published uh, is many bias especially uh, heteronormative binary bias I think that's also you know it's important I guess to to be mindful of the difference between them actually doing all of this out of um, out of spite out of bigotry I mean all of these are definitely bigoted but also um, when you say that you know education on on so GSE is the most important thing, then that means that there's still hope, right? I mean, that, that means, well, hopefully, I mean, we can hope that once we fight this ignorance, then things can get better, right? It also reminds me of that, of that part in your article where you mentioned that, um, your, I, I forgot which, which one of your sources, but like, um, there was this person interviewed about Sogiasi and stuff like that, but then it got edited and taken out of context to conform to the pre-existing notion that um, being queer is something contagious, but also curable. So it's like it's like a disease, right? I think that that kind of like stems from this ignorance, right? Like 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 you mentioned. So educating journalists and educating the newsroom, educating um, all of that would be necessary. Um, to spread awareness that yeah. it's not a disease, right? It's, it's it's not, yeah, it's not something contagious, and you shouldn't try to you shouldn't try to cure it. Which is, of course, is a challenge if if like if the newsroom itself, if people producing the news are um, editing things, taking things out of context, and just trying to, um, yeah, trying to really. Um, Trying to shape these all of these narratives into something that they're that they're uh, they that they believe in, but um, what do you think is the biggest challenge there? Do people um, are people just do people just not know the importance of like having these kinds of awareness, having a class, or is there like is there no one providing it? Is there uh, maybe not enough budget for the news organizations, or are they afraid of of having all of these education and awareness what are your thoughts like why is why isn't there more classes more more awareness of these issues there has no class for new journalists so uh this is a structural problem in our media when uh the media has new journalists in their newsroom uh, they just assign their journalists instantly to coverage in some topic. They have uh, no class, no basic class. I guess that speaks to the larger problem in the media landscape, right? Just mm. new journalists come in, all right, you go to reporting there, they, they assign it right away, just churning out content after content. Because it's like, um, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, because um, I do believe that there's lots of like... Um, demand for journalists to churn out as many articles as, as possible, as quickly as possible, uh, maybe in, in, to different degrees and different different kind of like media and media platforms. But um, there is a lack of incentive for the media to actually provide learning for, for their journalists. Is, is that would, would you say that's the case? But also, um, at the same time, do you think journalists in general, uh, do you think they'd be... They'd, they would be willing or interested to learn more about these issues? Or do you think there is hesitation from the journalists themselves? 
I have a lot of conversation with many journalists, especially new journalists, um, and I have a lot conversation with uh, student press. Uh, they have interest about Sugesi uh, class, but uh, our media environment not provided, and um, some of uh, my experience when I talk to them, to uh, student press, um, they said that they want to learn a lot about Sogese uh, and they have, uh, they want to write about queer uh, reporting in a good perspective. Um, and I think this is a hope for our medias about uh, when we talk about queer. Yeah, uh, definitely. So if if that's the case, and I mean, in your narrative, we talk a lot about uh, democracy, right? So which means that um, we're hopeful. We, we continue to we continue to be hopeful when there are uh, certain structures that um, that are oppressive to certain minority groups. They don't they're not set in stone. Usually um, people can get together and then discuss about things and then eventually push for change and then eventually change happens. I mean, throughout history, that's been the case over and over again. And in other countries, I believe like lots of other countries were very, very um, queerphobic, um, historically speaking. There was like, like some opening and then there was the whole um, AIDS epidemic and it changed everything and stuff like that, but then started to become more open again, right? Historically speaking, that's the case. And if you mention that there are lots of young uh, young journalists and student press and people who are actually interested in these things, in like learning more about SOGSC and about reporting and uh, reading about um, perspectives regarding the queer community and about queerness in general in a more positive light, then it means there's hope. There's hope for a movement. There's hope for change, right? So um, how do we grasp that hope? How do we pursue that hope, do you think? Um, what can we do as journalists, as writers, as listeners, or like as people who are who care about the rights of minority groups, about the rights of like, um, yeah, the LGBTQIA plus community? Um, how do we advocate against these dis- discriminatory policies? How do we start to raise more awareness about SOGSC in, in our community? What would you say are the things that we need to do? Um, one of the important things to do is uh, don't be afraid to criticize about queerphobic uh, news in media. When the medias uh, have a bad perspective about uh, when they talk about uh, queer, uh, some of netizens are not afraid to criticize the medias and this is um, made the media to do better. I guess that's also that's also some, you know, a note to be hopeful to to keep in mind. I suppose regarding the media is that if pe- if enough people speak up, speak up about these issues, if enough people criticize, they will change the tactics, right? I mean, uh, essentially, lots of media care about like whether whether the things that they that they publish you know resonate with the rest of society i guess if if enough people speak about it if they uh i mean it, it sounds it sounds a little bit cynical and i don't mean to be completely cynical here but like 
if the news on if queerphobic news get published and then it gets popular and then it, it gets clicks, then that's what we're gonna get, right? But if queerphobic news uh, gets lots of criticism in media back and, and like uh, sorry uh, backlash on social media and people start demanding better news and st- people start reading and like sharing news that report queer communities and queerness in a more positive light, then I think media, the media landscape in general will, will kind of adjust, right? And I do think like speaking up is important, uh, speaking on social media, being critical, as you mentioned, about, um, about news reporting on social media, and I suppose uh, speaking up against like queerphobic jokes in the newsroom, in the, yeah, in, in your, with, among your peers, among your community, I do think that uh, that's also important. Um, I guess, okay, so maybe one final question, right? Um, what would you say to queer journalists who are starting out, whether they're out or whether they're not yet out, but like if there is a queer journalist and then they work in a media environment that's like not very supportive of queerness, maybe they're a bit queerphobic, it doesn't matter if, if uh, you know, if their facade is a progressive media or not, but like if they're working in this media landscape and they feel uncomfortable with the queer phobia in the newsroom and also outside of the newsroom, uh, what would you tell them? They can meet a community or they can meet a supporting system. From my experience, this uh, supporting system can help us to feel more better. We can share a lot of story and we can get um, maybe um, a little solution uh, to yeah to make us feel better than we face on. Yeah, definitely. I think um, as with all, you know, um, every part of the of the queer community, I guess living our lives as queer uh, people, collective care and community and support system that's most important. And I guess. Um, letting queer journalists like young queer journalists know that they're not alone that they're they have other queer journalists who can stand uh, with them and to push for change i guess that's very important to keep the hope alive and that wraps up our discussion with vidya primastika things might look pretty dire but let us all not lose hope you're not alone Find a community, build your support network, practice collective care, and speak up. Push for change. Queerphobia is a deep and structural problem, but it's not a given. We can empower ourselves to change things. If you are a journalist or a media worker, share this podcast to your co-workers and invite them for classes on Sogi SC. If you'd like to know more about Media Freedom Voices, as well as our Media Freedom and Southeast Asia project in general, which includes various research, legal briefings, and other activities, you can go to newnarrative.com slash mediafreedom. We'll also have further discussions on this issue, which you can take part in. That's newnarrative.com slash mediafreedom, all one word. My name is Bonibel Rambatan, and this has been Southeast Asia Dispatches. Brought to you by New Narrative and produced by Dania Yudo. I'll see you around.